Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me as always is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey Kelly. Hey Joey. Another beautiful day. It is. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. <laughs> Won't you be mine? <laughs> Speaking of neighbors, yeah, we have another guest with us today. We do. And, you know, it's so funny because um, there's this wonderful uh, publisher who sends me potential guests. And I have this thing that I do with the guests where I, I sit and I read and I sort of feel into their energy and I decide whether or not they're, they're going to be a good fit based on what I'm seeing. And, and I opened the email on this one and I took one look at the image of Colm and I was like, yes. <laughs> so I'm like super excited here. We've been geeking out before the episode starts. And so you guys are going to be super excited too. If you can imagine, Colm has written this amazing book and I'll tell you his last name in a minute, but he's written this really cool book based on Paul Coelho's The Alchemist. And based on his experience being part of the publishing uh, company that put the book out in Australia. And so you're in for a treat. I am no, I'm in for a treat. So I help me welcome Joey Colm Holland. Welcome Colm. Hi. Hi Kelly. Hi Joey. How are you? Very nice to meet you. So before we got started on, on the episode, we were talking about prosperity and, and money and unconsciousness, you know, the, the unconscious and, you know, Colm's like, ah, 
we could talk about like 20 different things. And I'm like, I know I'm so excited. (laughs) So, so we're going to, we're going to see where the conversation takes us, but tell us a little bit about the book so that we have a jumping off point. Yeah. Thanks Kelly. So hi everyone. Uh, Colin Holland, the book is called the secret of the alchemist and it's deliberately has a double meaning in the sense that, Alchemy itself is quite a secret wisdom that sort of hides itself in plain sight traditionally over centuries and centuries. So not many of us know much about alchemy, so that's one angle. The other angle is that The Alchemist is one of the best-selling books of all time. Uh, It withheld the Guinness Book of Records of being the most copies sold by a living author of a single title. It last record, I think it's somewhere around about 86, 87 million copies wow. worldwide. It's more than most of the self-help books that we've ever read put together. It only got beaten, this is really interesting, it only got beaten um, quite recently by J.K. Rowling's uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. And there's a lot, I love the irony of that, is that oh, yeah. both books are about alchemy. That's yes. right. <laughs> J.K. Rowling spent two years studying alchemy before she put pen to paper. And then one day Harry Potter got, got on a train and sat down opposite her and, and the rest is history. So I have a, an intimate, uh, for want of a better word, relationship with the original alchemist, Paolo Kahlo's book. And I'll tell you a really quick story. So... Um, I apologize to everybody who is expecting Crocodile Dundee accent, by the way, um, (laughs) today, the word Australia. Um, I have a very distinct English accent, not not Australian. Um, Well, maybe if I get a bit hot hot under the collar, occasionally I've been heard to utter the odd Australian word. But... um, (laughs) The odd colorful Australian word, clearly, yes. Just normal language. (laughs) (laughs) My my, my pardon to but they, they all, all the Australians listening know exactly what I mean. Um, <laughs> uh, I was a middle manager. I was uh, in the in the lower levels of the sandwich of, of management at HarperCollins Publishers in Australia. My role, amongst a few other things, was to to have a look at the new titles that were being published by the rest of the company around the world, London, New York, and San Francisco, there was a publishing imprint that we had called Harper San Francisco. And I loved that company. I don't know if you guys have ever ever read books from that time, but there were two or three people who were doing the publishing. They were amazing. They were groundbreakers. And so I I was always excited when a pile of manuscripts, because this was pre, this is 1993, so this is pre-internet, guys. So we yeah. literally, I waited for a manuscript, a package of manuscripts to arrive in the mail. It was a Friday afternoon, and I was sifting through some things. And I was always very careful because in the past I'd found some nice little gems, like Marianne Williamson's, of course, in Miracles. When that was published, I was there, and a couple of books by Wayne Dyer. We've heard of him. Yeah, one of my and favorites. There was this manuscript by this completely unknown author, never heard of him. I couldn't even pronounce the name correctly, I'm sure at the time, somebody called Paolo Coelho something. And um, I'd read the blurb and he was from Brazil and he wrote in Portuguese. And this book had done relatively well in Brazil, sold 
uh, close to half a million copies, which was pretty good. That got my interest. But then I looked at the, the draft artwork for the book. And if you Google The Alchemist, the original cover, those of you who were around at the time or Google should be able to bring it up. It's purple, not the usual orange thing that we have these days. It was purple and there's this artwork, almost a primitive piece of artwork of a shepherd boy and this character that is dressed in, in Arab attire, sort of Bedouin attire with, with the all-seeing single eye on the forehead. And Okay, so I broke my rule. It was late Friday afternoon. I shoved the manuscript in my bag and said, okay, I'll take it home. And I normally never took manuscripts home because I was meant to be spending time with my kids and so on. Sunday afternoon, get in the chair. Everybody's busy doing something else. I thought, I'll read, I'll read a few pages of this manuscript. Um, the sun sets, as I say in my book, uh, on the last page as I just could not put it down. And those of you that have read The Alchemist, the majority of you are going to identify with that. So can you imagine being one of the first first human beings to to read those pages and the hair went up on the back of my neck I'd recently read the Celestine prophecy and I knew how well that had sold and I thought you know you know what guys this has got all the something beyond the words this is going to read this if this resonates with me a a relatively relatively half-baked kind of spiritual character like me then it Anybody who's even more in tune than me is going to love this book. And, of course, the rest is history. It right. sold incredibly well. Now, I rang my colleague back in, Calif- in California the next day, got him out of bed. I rang him at his home, and, he, and I said, <laughs> look, I need to talk to you about this book. The Alchemist, well, what do you mean? And I said, um, do you realize how phenomenal this is going to be? We're, we're sitting on probably one of the, the, the best-selling books that HarperCollins has ever published. And he said, are you drunk? <laughs> I said, no, for a change, no. And um, he said, well, you know, normally what? what's the most you've ever taken of any book I have ever sent you, Colin? And I said, well, about 2,000. He said, all right, how many do you want? I said, 200,000, please. And he said, okay, this is serious. You're, you're not kidding, are you? And I said, no, no, I'm not kidding. The next thing I knew... My colleagues around the world agreed we didn't quite do that many and we sold out the first print run. I forget how many hundred thousand we did. We didn't even bother going to hardcover. We went straight to paperback. And Paolo suddenly became quite a celebrity, which was a real nerve-wracking event for him because he didn't speak English as his first language. But we persuaded him to come out to Australia. One of the very first literary festivals he did was in Australia, in Adelaide. And on his way home, he said, I want to... I want to um, come by Sydney, where we were, and I want to take you, Colin, and your wife, and um, the uh, Naomi and, and her partner, she was the publicity manager, out for a meal just to say thank you. And immediately I'm like, wow, uh, normally it's the CEO of the company that gets to go to the meals, not not little old middle manager me. We went out for this meal, and he, it was wonderful. And, of course, you know, he wasn't the celebrity that, that he is now, and he was he, – uh, so none of us were particularly overawed, but there was something definitely different about this guy. Towards the end of the meal, he said, look, I've got I've got a present for you guys. And he said, Naomi, look, um, I just want to give you this. And he passed this little box 
and uh, she opened it and it was a ring a little ring box and there was a diamond ring a dress diamond ring i mean it was worth a couple of thousand bucks easily and we're like wow oh okay <laughs> and then he looked at me <laughs> and said colin i i asked god and the universe and my wife what i should get you and i'm thinking yeah well gold rolex maybe <laughs> yeah that would that <laughs> You weren't expecting that. How shallow is that? Oh, my goodness. But I'll admit to it, but I got a different kind of gold. And this is where we can now talk about the alchemist, really. He looked me in the eye and he said, God told me to do a day of my magic on your behalf so that whatever you want in the universe will come to pass. You just need to decide what you want. Wow. Wow. Big, big gift. And I was thinking, well, you know what? A gold Rolex would Rolex be really would have cool. Been nice. Right <laughs> <laughs> Within two months, I was promoted to a senior management position. Within six months, I left the company and I started my own business. In two years, I founded the second largest digital advertising agency in Australia. In four years, I employed 80 people. In five years, we ran the Sydney Olympics online. We've had three of the largest companies in the whole of Australia as clients, and I made a load of money. I remember in my office, I remember looking in the mirror one day, and I just said to myself, how did you get to here? Have you forgotten what you did? Have you forgotten what happened? You have, haven't you? You, you shallow man. You've forgotten <laughs> what, what happened. And So let's just remind. So my book is actually the story of what really happened and what really happened was that I went into an awakening and I went into that awakening through going back to the story of the alchemist and asking a really basic question, which is what is the secret of this book? If you ask most people that read it and they'll tell you, um, yeah, this is a great book. It really moved me. And I was very, you know, I was very inspired. And um, yes, I was one of my favorite books for a long time. And I gave it to my best friend to read and so on. And I say, why? Tell me, what is it about the book that inspired you? And they said, well, it, it inspired me to believe in my dreams and to commit to finding my treasure and to find, you know, and so on. And I said, well, that, that's fantastic. And I said, and has that happened? And most people say, yeah, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Yeah, mostly, a bit, maybe. And I said, well, um, let me tell you my story. When I tell them my story, they go, what? How, how did you do that? And I said, because, you know what, I went in here into this book called The Alchemist, and I decided to dig in and actually find what that secret is. And you won't believe what I found. <laughs> go on, I'll give you three guesses. Kelly, go on, let's do it. Three guesses. Oh, it's been what? so long since I've read the book. What do, um, think, what do you think the secret is? Yeah, come on. Let's try. Um, I'm, I'm being naughty, but. Yeah, you are, but that's okay. <laughs> really I'll play. Um, let's see. All right. So I'm I'm leaning into my, my vague memory of the book at this point because I haven't yeah. read it in 20 years. But. Do you want me to give you the quick story? Santiago is a shepherd boy, has a dream in an abandoned chapel in Andalusia in Spain, and the dream says to him, you need to go to the pyramids, and if you go to the pyramids, you'll find the treasure. 
Yes. You, yes. Yes. So the so, hero's journey, right? Yeah. Yeah. The hero's journey. Um, well, that could be one. Okay. So let's let's tick one. The hero's journey. Yep. Super. Well done. I've been on walkabout too. To me, it was a it was a heavy duty walkabout journey. It was yep. very much a trust the universe and follow the signs, and yep. you'll get so, where you're meant to go. Yeah, got it. To right? well, Kelly, you're a, you're a genius. <laughs> You've gone way beyond most people where I ask this question. So, what's the third? What's the, what's the last? It, yeah, it's it's you. You can't find your heart's desire unless you know what it is. I'll take that. Okay. okay. Big round of applause. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I put her on the spot. It just shows how in, intuitive you are, Kelly. Do you know? Probably not, so I'll tell you. So everybody, what those three elements that Kelly just said, uh, what they sum up is actually the art of alchemy, the ancient wisdom of alchemy. And I challenge you all right now, if you've still got your old dusty beaten up copy of The Alchemist because you've read it so many times back in in the late 90s and early 2000s, If you start to read it again, you'll discover what I discovered is that it's full of references to ancient alchemy. There is the Emerald Tablet. There is the Philosopher's Stone. There is Melchizedek. And guess where where this boy is traveling? He's traveling in ancient Arabia where alchemy first originated. So what this really is, is in Joseph Campbell's term, this is a new monomyth, the hero's journey, through the steps that are outlined by the ancient alchemists from three, four, five thousand years ago. And why don't we make that association? It's because we've lost it. Yeah. Our forefathers, in their infinite wisdom, like they have with so many ancient wisdoms, tried to kill it. You could be burned at the stake. You could be hung, drawn, and quartered. You could be banished to Australia. Well, not quite. Uh, but you, <laughs> yeah, anymore. You, yeah, no, no. no, no, no. Uh, yeah, t- stealing a rabbit would get you to Australia. You know. <laughs> now, it, now it costs about 3000 bucks just to get <laughs> So alchemy is a metaphor, an ancient metaphor, that in my humble discovery – is one of the most powerful metaphors that there is, partly because it is so ancient and partly because it's not a religion, it's not a sect of a religion, it, it, is, it doesn't require any obedience to a, a group, it doesn't require you to sign up to anything or pay tithes to something, it doesn't even require you to do anything every day like meditate or, any, or anything else. It just requires you to do one really simple thing, which Kelly has already outlined. It asks you to listen to your heart. Your only obligation, according to Paolo in, in The Alchemist, is that you should seek and find your true destiny, each of us. We should take the journey that goes within to the place that Carl Jung, who, by the way, was a very, very strong student of of alchemy. He wrote books on the subject. He built his psychoanalysis theory off the back of alchemy. And where did he get all that stuff from? From Sir Isaac Newton. Remember the apple falling out Mm -hmm. of the tree? Yep. 
Well, he saw that in the light of a wisdom called alchemy, and he collected all the alchemy books that he could get his hands on in those days, because most of them have been destroyed in, from antiquity. And he collected them, and eventually they actually exist in, in a library in England right now. You can go to the, one of the major university libraries, and, and, and they're still there, uh, the, those ancient books. But Carl Jung discovered these. What Carl Jung discovered was, and this is one of the things I talk about in my book, The Secret of the Alchemist, is that the journey that the alchemists went on within was a journey of transformation. Yes. And they coded that journey in symbols and processes to blind the ignorant and to blind those who did not have the wisdom to seek the, the good that the, the, the alchemist was trying to seek. So when an alchemist talks about turning lead into gold. They're talking about the soul. They're talking about the spirit. You've got it. Now, so in the, in the eyes of an alchemist, lead was a base metal and compared to gold, worthless. Now we realize, you know, lead is is pretty worth quite a bit. In fact, there's a little parish church just down the road here that had a ton of lead stolen off its roof recently because, <laughs> because you can get quite a lot for it as scrap. But, you know, in their metaphor, the turning of lead into gold, what they call that transmutation is a spiritual journey. It's the spiritual, the soul journey, not to something else, so what – can I spoil the story for everybody? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No, 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 no. Let's do this. Look, everybody, everybody that's listening who hasn't read The Alchemist, block your ears now. Turn the volume down because I'm going to spoil the story. I'm going to give you the end of the story because those of us that have read it need to remind ourselves. Okay. Is that all right, Kelly? Absolutely. Okay. Everybody's blocked their ears who doesn't hear. Okay. The spoiler is, of course, he does get to the pyramids. Yes. And he's digging in the sand because he finally has, thinks he's found it. And, the, and a beggar, uh, sorry, a, a thief catches him digging in the sand and beats him up and said, well, you know, we want this treasure. If you don't give us this treasure. And, and he said, um, uh, he said, well, I had a dream. I had a dream that there was going to be treasure here in Santiago, he says. And, and the thief said, oh, are you kidding? He said, there's no treasure here. He said, I had a dream like this once. And my dream was that the treasure was actually hidden under a sycamore tree in Spain in, a, in an abandoned chapel. That's where Santiago had his dream. Because so Santiago goes home. The abandoned chapel is the neglected human soul. Right. <laughs> the treasure that's buried in the abandoned chapel is the treasure that's in our, what we call subconscious, but Carl Jung called the unconscious. Yeah. All of our... Enlightenment, uh, in my, this, is, this is what I've discovered, and, and I believe this is what the alchemist teaches. All of our dreams, our ambitions, our longing to be our, our better self, our longing to be whole, our longing to live an abundant life, our longing to be fully human, the journey that we have to go on as alchemists is into the unconscious. Yeah. I don't know, Kelly, any other journey. I've tried quite a few of them i'm sure you have as well yep but the only one that's ever worked for me is that journey and that's why the alchemist was such an important book to me because it gave me a new metaphor i tried christianity i tried a few other things they wore out pretty quick the reason i i call my book the secret of the alchemist is i'm trying to re-enlighten 
the collective unconscious and say, here's another bit of wisdom, guys, that we can draw on that I personally found extremely helpful. And in my book, I actually tell a lot of detail about my own struggles, about what I found in the unconscious, why I went into the unconscious in the first place, but we can talk about that. So there you go. That was a long story. That was the, <laughs> that was the sermon. It was um, fascinating. No, I'll so, shut up now. No, that no was- really. You know, you're so right, because one of the things that I talk to my students about all the time is this idea that they they go looking for their life purpose and they're like i need to find my life's purpose it's like no yeah. you don't need to find your life's purpose what you need to do is find yourself because your life's purpose is the fullest expression of your authentic self stop looking outside and start looking inside because that's where the answers are you know i i teach magic as part of uh what i do and <laughs> no. Oh no, not magic! Oh, oh no, right? Oh, that's it then. Okay, I'm pulling the plug now. <laughs> oh no, this is getting spooked. <laughs> magic. Yeah. Well, okay. But, but I won't teach it to people who haven't done their inner work first. Yeah, there you go. Because if you do, then people spend their entire lives looking outside of themselves for their power, and that's not where it is. This is is one of those things where you you and I talked about this beforehand. We're like, yeah, we're right on a level. We're doing this right. We're here. We are right. But you know, the, we've been talking about the unconscious, right? And one of the things you mentioned the unconscious, and we've been talking about the unconscious a lot on in the last few months around stuff that's going on with COVID and stuff that's going on with the civil unrest. And, you know, all of my people are empaths. And so they feel everything, right? And so, um, you know, we've been discussing how to filter out the collective unconscious angst, right? And the, the, the upset and the things of that nature. So there's other pieces that you can tap into as well. I, I don't get to talk about alchemy much. I, I okay. used to call myself the thought alchemist, you know, so I, I do alchemy. I do. It, it's just, it's not a term that a lot of people, you know, 20 years later are really using as much, but there is an alchemy to everything that we do. And yes. so talk for well, a minute about the alchemy of what's happening right now. So in our understanding of um, my wife often corrects me, she said, don't you mean spiritual alchemy? And I go, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I do. But I don't I don't really want to call it spiritual alchemy because the alchemist made no distinction. There is no distinction between the physical, the material and the, and whatever we call the spiritual and, and so on. And when you really understand the, the role of the unconscious in, in, the, in the human makeup, then you realize that you're going into a territory where all of those, as I alluded to earlier, all of those enlightened experiences that we we have, and they're all valid and they're all real and they're all true, and there's a, a multitude of them depending on who we are and our background and so on, they emanate from the unconscious. That is the gift that we possess as humans, and we're unique in that we are able to identify that of ourselves, and that's what makes us human. What most people don't realize is that within that unconscious world, of its own nature, it's a bit like a swirling pot of, of 
stuff. It's a bit messy and it's made up of all kinds of things that have come into that, some of which we've inherited mm -hmm. from our forebears, our ancestors, some of which we picked up at a conception, um, and I talk about that in my book, some of which we experienced in the womb as well. All of this we have no control over, remember. This is not something we've chosen. It's something that's just given, and we have to take it. And then some of it when we're born, and then some of it as we're growing up, and then some of it which we, if we're asleep, and I'm sure most of your listeners will know what I mean when I say asleep, yeah. Mm -hmm. If we're asleep, then we absorb all this stuff unconsciously. We don't put any barriers up. We just suck it in. Right. So how many layers of the unconscious have we just mapped out? I mean, oh, my goodness, guys, you know. Right. But all well, is not lost. Do <laughs> <laughs> not abandon hope, ye who enter. Okay. <laughs> Dante's Inferno wasn't a bad description, but it, if your life feels like Dante's Inferno, then I strongly recommend not that you that listen. First of all, listen to Kelly. Okay, you need you need Kelly and, and stick to every word she gives you. But also read my book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Well. Yes, because I realized. Um, even before I, way before I met Paolo Kahlo, Paolo Kahlo was like a middle milestone. I was 40 years old when I met Paolo. I had been on a spiritual journey up to that point, and I've been on a much more, much stronger spiritual journey since. But in that previous spiritual journey, at about the age of 18, I actually decided that I really wasn't in control of my life. How many of us feel like that so often and that's where we are to answer your question i think kelly is that quite so many of us right now do not feel in control right and the more we hear about covid the more we hear about the race riots and the more we hear about hunger and famine elsewhere and the more we hear about children going missing and the more you know um, i have learned to fast from the news I, I i have to take as much news as i can in small doses and because I have to be able to manage it and process it, right? Especially right. if you're if you're many of the people you work with are you know absorbing. So at the age of eighteen, I thought this is not good. What is the meaning of life? I actually asked, you know, what is the meaning of life? And I was in the in a time when the Beatles, we were making love, not war, <laughs> peace, man. Um, you know, Bob Dylan. You know, I was a hippie, um, and that's one of the things Palo and I. I Paolo's just done a, a new book, by the way, called Hippie, um, <laughs> which is quite enlightening because he and I have so much in common. It's, it's not true, actually. I decided that actually the, I was missing something. And I guess that was really quite common in that we were all asking a similar question. So I thought, I'll, I'll, I'll have a think about this thing called love that we were all trying to pursue. Because the more I tried to pursue love, the more I actually felt really bad about myself. While I, the more I thought about love and tried to pursue love, the one person in the world that I found the hardest to love was guess who? Yourself. Yeah. Moi. Yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, moi. And so I thought, okay, this I've got to fix this. So where do you get love from? Where does that? Who's got it? Okay, anybody got love? Anybody around here? You know, And I'd look mm -hmm. at other people and I'd – 
hoped they were going to love me, and that that went down a pretty dangerous road several times. <laughs> yeah. um, so I didn't find it there. I thought, you know, maybe it, if I behaved in a certain way, people would love me. So um, I did. I was fortunate to meet somebody who said, "Well, um, did you know that in the Bible it says God is love?" And I said, oh, um, "No, not. Oh, really?" I thought God was full of damnation and he was going to send us all to hell. And, and if anybody was going to go to hell, it's going to be me because quite frankly, you know, I mean, you know, I've, got Old long, <laughs> I've got a long list here, guys. <laughs> it's like, boy, am I going to spend a lot of time in purgatory. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the Dalai Lama's, yeah, one, one of the Dalai Lama's interpreters I was reading in the newspaper week, his mother had a fabulous quote, which was, eternity is an awfully long time, especially towards the end. that's awesome i actually asked love to enter my life when i was 18 years old and i could not believe what happened i i was grounded by something i never ever dreamt was going to happen i was overwhelmed by a presence it wasn't a spirit it wasn't a religion. Um, people tried to get me to fit it into their religion, and none of it ever worked. But I actually had an enlightened, enlightened experience, and I'm sure many of your listeners have had the same thing. I was overwhelmed by love, and there was. And what I decided there is that love actually has a personality. There is in the universe. There is a force, but it's it's and it's ubiquitous. But it's not personality-less. It actually has character, but it's not a person. That's the conclusion I came to at the age of 18. And that character is unconditional love. And in the beginning of my book, I, you know, one of, one of the things I say, and I'm just going to quote it to you all here, because apparently some, some really wise guy called Colin Holland said this. He must have said it because this is inverted commas and italics. What he said was... The greatest challenge we face is to truly believe at the very core of our heart that we are loved unconditionally for who we are, not for what we can do. Well, you just summed up basically everything I do in my first year of my course. <laughs> that's exactly, <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. Oh. That's exactly the Still work that I do. Okay, <laughs> Oh no! If if you, if it was that simple for most people, yeah, you know, exactly. there, there wouldn't be a year long course to do it. It's just it, it's there's so many stories and so many layers of crap that we have uh, taken on from our our lifetimes and from yeah. our parents and from the uh, culture and the collective unconscious and you know, there's so much that has to be dug underneath to get through down to that that level where you're like, right. Yeah, I get to be cool just for being me. And yeah. that's awesome, you know? And and it's, it, yeah, it's a complex process for most people. So it's, uh, it, it's you know, it's very funny because it is complex and yet it's very simple. Okay, can I As talk is about most things? <laughs> can I talk about that simple, complex process just for yes, a second? Yes, by all means. Um, or am I going to wreck year two of, of your course <laughs> in the next? No, I'm, I don't think you're going to wreck it. No, <laughs> this is a tease. This everybody, this is why you need to go with Kelly. Okay, <laughs> I'm telling you why you you should go be, be with Kelly. But here's the thing: 
the alchemists said this. So to, be, to, to become, to discover the gold, the inner gold within myself, to discover my true self in, to, in Carl Jung's terms, to go through the individuation process, as he called it. Um, and if you, if you guys have not read Carl Jung, I highly, highly recommend you read some Carl Jung. Yeah, um, man. It just kind of, it just kind of turns the light on you, kind of see things through a, a new prism. Um, and one of the things that, that you discover there is it, becoming the true self is not becoming somebody other than who you really are. Right. There is no perfection. And this is one of the issues I kind of have with Jesus, by the way, is that, and, and Mary, uh, in, in the, in the, in the orthodox sense of, of, of the understanding of those people is that, you know, they are without sin and they are perfect. Um, oh, and yet if you look at his story, he wasn't. Well, he might even have been married, apparently, according to Dan Brown. Right. Nor, <laughs> you know, I mean, he certainly had anger issues when he turned over the tables at the moneylenders. No, and, no, you know. no. That was righteous anger. <laughs> Kelly, come It was on. righteous <laughs> anger, but it was. So it where was, were you in catechism? You were, you, know? you were like me and the fact. <laughs> Having a, having a secret cigarette. Um, <laughs> the the point being is that um, to be truly human is to be true to yourself. Right. However, let's just go back to Dante's Inferno and the unconscious for a second. What I discovered was once I discovered unconditional love and that actually I was really loved for who I, for who I really am is that something else inside me was running my life, was pulling the strings. And it was several years. And I was very fortunate. I joined a community, uh, a multi-faith ecumenical community where we didn't, we didn't bother with doctrine and we didn't bother with catechisms and we didn't bother with obedience to a, a religious rule. But what we did believe in was, was um, finding true wholeness and, and healing. And I, I bumped into um, a, a doctor called Dr. Frank Lake, and I talk about him quite a bit in my book. And he was one of the first practitioners of rebirthing and primal therapy. And I thought, this, sound, this sounds pretty good. I, I might have a go at this. And I, I went back and I did some rebirthing and I discovered all kinds of stuff. One of the things I discovered, which i Buried, buried, just like Santiago. The treasure was buried, remember, under the tree in the, you know, in the abandoned chapel. What was buried in mine was that I actually, as a child, had a real Harry Potter in the cupboard experience. My mother was epileptic. Bless her. God rest her soul. She was epileptic, and this was undiagnosed. And when I was born, it got worse. And um, I was a toddler at home, just me and her in the early days. My father was out of work. And she, when she knew a fit was coming on and she was trying to keep it quiet, she would put me in the cupboard to protect me. But I was like two years old. So for one minute, I was you know, enjoying life with this very caring, lovely woman who, was, who had my best interest. Next thing I know, she shut me in the cupboard in the dark and locked me in. And then I could hear all this stuff going on outside. And then eventually she'd open the door and she'd say, oh, what are you doing hiding in there? That's a good game. I found you. Well, that boy, oh, let me tell you, 
I have never met anybody so angry as that young man. And I discovered that really angry young man 20, 30 years later. Yeah. Been, um, I wish I'd found him earlier. So that inner child, which you talk so eloquently about, Kelly, on your website, by the way, thank you for that. I was enjoying reading that before we came on this podcast. Um, I can't urge people, anybody, if you haven't been in, and visited your inner child recently, then I, I strongly recommend you open the cupboard and and give that child a voice because um, and then you you know you can imagine my shock and surprise when I read <laughs> Harry Potter and there's Harry living in the cupboard under the stairs. It was like whoa, okay, <laughs> seriously, you put it up <laughs> into the collective consciousness. Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> J.K. Rowling came and found it with her alchemy. So the the alchemists, to help with this complex, simple process that you so eloquently mentioned, is that they they had a three-stage process, which is quite, quite straightforward. One is called the black phase, which was the, in their laboratory, it was about melting down the material that you're wanting to transform. Mm-hmm. So it's it, another name for it was mortification. I actually deliberately did the Dark Knight of the Soul. I actually was reading Thomas Merton at the time. I actually uh, was reading Thomas Akempis. I was going back to the Desert Fathers, and I deliberately chose to to go into an inner mortification. Some, I was very fortunate. I had a group of people around me who were able to care for me at the time. I gave up my very stressful job as a high school teacher, and I took the time out. It took a year. Most people don't have the luxury of that. I had the luxury, and I talk about this in my book. And what I discovered was the angry child. I did the primal therapy. Um, When all hope feels lost, guys, congratulations. When you feel you're about to go into that, well, no, not you to fear, you actually go into the black abyss, And you fall and you fall and you fall and you wonder what the hell this is all about. Why am I even here in the first place? Trust me, if you can just hang on, just hang on to somebody even, even if you have to hang on to Kelly, hang on to Kelly, hang on to anything, anybody, because when you're there, that's the beginning of freedom. It feels the opposite, but it's actually the beginning of freedom. Absolutely. That's the black phase of the alchemist process. The second phase of the alchemist process is called the white phase. The white phase is now you've realized that it's all nothing (laughs) and that you are nothing. And if you listen to Deepak Chopra and Urquhart Tolle and others, you know, basically we don't even exist. Um, But when when you reach that point, then you are in a position to actually find out who you really are. Because guess what? That child, in my experience, who I thought I despised, who I thought was weak, who I just wanted to keep hidden in the cupboard, who was angry, who would lash out and all that, the moment I gave him a voice and I let him have a conversation with love, he became my greatest treasure. And I have to tell you, and I I say this quite a lot, The person who you are listening to right now is the boy who was in the cupboard. Yeah. If I hadn't met that boy, if I hadn't let him out and given him a voice, I could not be sitting here with you today. 
I would not be sitting here with you today. It's so funny that you're using that that imagery because um, I did some uh, hypnotherapy a few years ago, and I recovered this memory of my parents yelling, well, my father yelling at my mother, and uh, that the the anger was so overwhelming because my fa- my father had so much rage, and I went running into the closet and closed the door and I pulled all the coats down on top of me. And I, I still have this visceral feeling of being like three years old and having mm-hmm. all of these coats on top of me trying to muffle out the rage and the energy of it. And so, yeah, there, there's something very visceral about that covered, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, same, same analogy. Yeah. One of my oh, favorites. guess what? Oh, well, guess what? C.S. Lewis. Oh, guess what? Uh, Tolkien. Guess what? They all studied alchemy. Wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> so that's, that's stage two. So black and white. Black, we've gone black, we've gone white. So in the white phase, in the story of the – so let's just go back to the, the alchemist just for a second. Um, all these stages are, are in the hero's journey. So the leaving, the leaving of Spain and ending up in North Africa and then suddenly everything he has is stolen – he actually says, is, is life even worth living? So that's the black phase. And then he discovers this place called uh, the Crystal Shop. And most people that read the story, if I say, do you know what the significance of the Crystal Shop is? Like, mm. it, he found a job and he made some money so he could carry on his journey. And I said, oh, yeah, okay. Let's just think about the Crystal Shop. For the moment. What's he doing in the Crystal Shop? He's cleaning crystal glass. Oh, really? Guess what crystal glass is made of? What's one of the primary ingredients in crystal glass? Oh, it's lead. Wow. Well, there's a coincidence. Okay. (laughs) So Paolo knew what he was doing in this story. So in the crystal shop, Santiago is polishing and polishing and polishing. And he's in there in the numerology. It's 9, 11 and all these numbers. And uh, he comes out of the crystal shop wearing white clothes, white robes, and with money, riches in his pocket, ready to decide to choose whether to continue his journey or to go back. So this is kind of like one of the things that alchemy lets you do, everybody, is if you've had enough and you think you've got to a certain point and you're kind of happy with that point, you can stop. Right. Until you meet somebody called the alchemist. Right. Now, I'm going to unashamedly apologize to everybody. If I'm the alchemist in your life today, <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. But it's, it was the universe's decision, not mine. <laughs> I'm sat here with Kelly, and um, if I'm now pulling on some strings, you've reached that point where you kind of go, yeah, you know what? I've kind of solved a few problems. I'm comfortable. It's okay. It's not as good as it could be. I know I could do more, but you know what? There's too much pain, and I just don't want to open those wounds again. Uh, you know, it's just a, a just column. Can you just go away now? I think you, <laughs> Kelly, can Turn you the stop? Off, walk away. Okay, can you just get rid of your guests, please? Because that's enough. Okay, so the alchemist comes to Santiago in the story, and what does he say to him? If you stop at this point. And I've come to you, says the alchemist, because you've reached the point where you are potentially just going to not find your full potential, your real treasure. 
and eventually, okay, you've you've met Fatima at the Oasis. You proved that you can be in touch with the soul of the world. You saved the the, the war them from the warring tribe that was going to destroy them. You've done yeah, yeah, okay, you've done pretty well. And that's where I was when I met Paolo Kayla. I'd done okay. I was in a good job. I had a family. I was happy, loving family, kids. We we're all doing okay. But there was a voice down here in my heart that said, yeah, but what about this thing that I want to do? And I said, oh, really? What are you? So Power said, you just need to decide what you want. And so I said to my heart, well, oh, come on. Okay, what do you want to do? Let's get it out in the open. He said, well, I, I want to be my own boss. I want to actually not have to work for Rupert Murdoch anymore for a start. That would be nice. No offense, Rupert. Um, <laughs> it got me to where I needed to get to. But I didn't want to work for you anymore. I, I wanted to work for this guy, Colin Holland, because I felt that Colin Holland had a unique gift to bring to the universe and to the soul of the world. And that's who we all should be, is that person who knows that in, in Paolo's terms are fulfilling their personal legend, that we are contributing to, the, we are um, enriching uh, the soul of the world through being obedient to our own personal destiny. And our personal destiny is not something that fate decides. I love people who talk about fate. It's really easy to talk about fate retrospectively. Oh, sure. Yeah. You try talking about fate in the future. <laughs> Somebody's got to make a decision and guess who's going to make that decision. Yeah, it's yeah. got to be you. So I made that decision. So the red, the red phase in the alchemy process is the phase where we begin to perform, and you're going to love this, Kelly, we begin to f- perform magic. Magic is real. Kelly's... You can't see her, everybody, but she's nodding her head very vigorously. (laughs) Magic is real. Miracles are real. Mm -hmm. You have the power to change the course of the universe. Your universe, your life, the world around you. And if you are um, fully in tune with, with the soul of the world, what you'll discover that the power is that power that I discovered way back. Let's go right back to the beginning of the story. The power that performs miracles and performs magic is, is unconditional love. Right. If, if we want to perform magic selfishly, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is... Yeah, go, yeah, go on. <laughs> come, come back in a couple of years' time and let us know how you got on with that. Right. Um, Paolo Kahlo, in his 2006 edition of The Alchemist, he wrote a new forward, and not many people have always all seen this new forward in the book, but he actually confesses to having gone down the, um, the selfish route of, of alchemy um, and got ripped off big time. He also delved into black magic big time. And to quote Paolo, his life was a wreck. It was in ruins, and it was only because he he kind of regrouped and decided to make his own study of alchemy that he ended up being one of the best-selling authors in the world today, um, and sharing and sharing that with the rest of us. So, um, unconditional love is the is the force 
to use a Star Wars analogy. So if you want the force to be with you then, and you don't know unconditional love in your life, then as Kelly will tell you, um, it's really hard to perform magic yeah. in a way that, that gives the result you really want, which is you want you want to be blessed. You want those around you to be blessed. You don't want to hurt the people around you anymore. You want to change that. And it all begins in the unconscious. So the final stage of alchemy, and after this conversation, Kelly, when we're off back off air, you and I can compare notes of what kind of experiments we do with alchemy. Yeah. I've got my rituals. I'm sure you've got your rituals. I actually tell you, people, I'm not going to spoil it, but in the back in the back of my book, I actually share my rituals. So I tell you what I nice. do. And I'm I'm not going. I, the, there's only one thing I don't do is I don't actually part of part of because of they are rituals. I don't actually broadcast the results. Mm-hmm. Those are private, right? Because people's lives have been changed, right, for the better, and that's secret. As as we say, you know, in Australia, that's that's secret men's and women's business, right? Um, those guys know how to do this stuff as well. By the way. Um, as, as hard as much as we've tried to take it away from them and destroy it, they're, they're rediscovering it again. Um, so yeah. Um, so do you want to do you want to be rich or do you want to be in a loving, caring relationship that you're not uncontrollably trying to destroy every five minutes? Do you, do you want a career that you don't? sabotage because of your fear of success do you want uh the kind of empowerment that santiago has santiago has um an alchemy experience towards the end of the book he is captured again with the alchemist and the alchemist says oh don't worry um he says to the tribal chief who says i'm, I'm going to kill you and steal your money he said oh, don't worry this guy santiago is an alchemist and he's going to turn himself into the wind well you can imagine you know santiago there was a little puddle of wet puddle on the sand underneath where he was <laughs> where he was standing right there um how how was he going to do that you know he had no idea how to turn himself into it but and and that's how we're going to be guys when you, you're faced with those things you want to change, then there is a process that you're doing. And one of those processes is we can reach through the unconscious, through into the, uh, the collective unconscious, into the soul of the world. And if, if we practice it enough, what we will be able to do is to take hold of unconditional love and it is a force, it is a power, and call, invoke that love to do the thing that we want. And if you're interested in that concept, the alchemists have this thing called the Emerald Tablet, and I strongly recommend as part of any ritual, if, you, if you've been tempted to go off and, and have a look at this whole subject, is go and have a look at the Emerald Tablet. You can find it on Google. You can. I've actually quoted the whole thing in my book. But the first verse of the Emerald Tablet says this, "'Tis true without lying, certain and most true. That which is below 
is like that which is above. And that which is above is like that which is below to do the miracles of one only thing. Now, guess what the one only thing is? Of course, it's unconditional love. And that is the power. That's the secret of the alchemist. That's what Paolo talks about in his original novel. That's what I talk about in my book. And that's what Kelly's been trying to teach you all year in and year out. <laughs> so funny that uh, you say that because this is our two-year anniversary episode. Yes, it oh, is. Congratulations. Well done. Thank yes. you. So I, I'm super excited because, you know, we're also going to be publishing on uh, the summer solstice which is, <laughs> which yeah. is the, the same day that we actually launched the podcast. We actually did the podcast. We normally publish on Sundays, and we yeah. actually started the podcast on a Thursday because I wanted to start it on the summer solstice. And this was why. This episode was the reason you were so focused on exactly. it being on the 21st. <laughs> I was in the process of trying to get ready to move, and we were just like – going blowing through and trying to put a lot of tracks down. I was like, no, this one has to be for the, the it has to be on the summer solstice. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really good timing. And this is the perfect episode to have on this time frame. And yeah. so I'm so glad you could come. Thank you so much for being part of this. Kelly, the pleasure is all mine. I feel like I've, I've found a new soulmate. Me too. We're going to be friends. <laughs> I'm Joey, coming to Glastonbury to see well. you. <laughs> Joey could be friends as well. I'll just hang I'm out on the side. <laughs> I'm totally coming to Glastonbury to see you. You don't know it yet, but I'm coming. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome. I've not. I've never. I've never actually gone to the tour um, on the some. You know. Um, for midnight uh, or the, the, the sunrise, but um, I'm actually thinking I might make the effort this year, and um, because my daughter, I can actually go and stay with my daughter when, if, when the lockdown's finished, and she's literally five, you know, five minutes from the, the footpath up, up to the tour, and I'm, I'm sure some of your listeners have been uh, and know exactly where we're talking about. But there is so much magic, such a heritage of magic of all kinds, of all persuasions um going way back and um uh you know and, and did these feet uh, in ancient times walk upon england's mountain you know mountains green well you know that's glastonbury that that he's that he's talking about in there as well so um yeah i think i might do that this year so if i am i'll i will send love from there to you <laughs> for this podcast and to everybody who's listening. And one of the things I just want to sort of part with in a way is that throughout my book, when I was writing my book, I got this, I got told because I, I, sometimes I do what I'm told to do. Occasionally <laughs> it is, has been known. And I was being told to um, do my magic as, as I was writing the book. And I hadn't anticipated that was going to happen. Mm. So as I was writing my story and my experience and what I'd learned about alchemy and, and, and cross-referencing and digging up all the history and quoting it all and something else, this voice said to me, why don't you just ask um, love to, to give everybody who reads this book, when they read it, everything that they need to become the alchemist in their world. So it, it comes with, with the, a blessing that I'm just passing on um, I'm, I'm just, 
you know, a messenger here goes, Mercury um, or whoever, I'm, I'm just doing as I'm told and it's it's for you. And um, so it comes with, with my blessing in, in that regard. Well, and to go back to the conversation we had before we started, um, you had said that you had a friend, multiple friends who you'd given the book to in the beginning, and they all said that they were going back to their second and third readings. And I'm like, well, of course they're going back for their second and third readings. They want the blessing in the second and third places in their lives. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? Why not? I, I'll, I'll take as many, as much blessing as I can get. Exactly. Who exactly. wouldn't? Every time. <laughs> what an excellent two-year episode here. Our two-year anniversary episode has been fabulous. Thank you very much, Colm. It's, it's been wonderful. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Kelly. All right. Thanks for having me. Kelly, anything you want to say to wrap up before we go to close here? I don't think there's anything you can say. I think Colm said it all. I think he did. <laughs> I think he did. I, he basically channeled me as, as well. So, you know, anything I would have said, he's already said. <laughs> Read the book. That's what I'm going to say is get his book and read it because it's going to be awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. That is all that we have for this week, folks. But be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds another chapter into your guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Colm Holland, and you have been listening to Spirit Trippa. So long, everyone. Bye. Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any requests for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A dot com. That's Kelly at KellySparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to KellySparta.com. This episode of Spirit Trippa has been produced by Honu Voice Production. And my love and my life and me. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing, but you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.